there have been several occasions in my life where I lacked awareness. <laughs> More often than I'd like to admit. Uh, there was a time when I was in elementary school and I was in the school play and we had this elaborate choreography where a bunch of us kind of did this little pan move where we walk up to the front of the stage like this. I don't know where my brain was, but the rest of the group moved and I was still standing back there. Like, completely oblivious. And I realized, then, then I realized I'm behind cue and I just run to the front of the stage. And like parts of my costume are flying off and the whole nine. There was a, uh, let's see, Pony League Baseball. I got a nice lead off of first. I don't know what captured my attention, but the ball was in the first baseman's mitt before I even started back to the base. My brain was, I'm off base. My brain was like, I don't know, literally, no pun intended, in left field somewhere. <laughs> it was bad. I was like, so I've had those moments in my life where it's like, I just kind of lose awareness of what's going on. My brain goes somewhere else. Maybe you've experienced that. Hopefully not as often as I have. But awareness is a big deal. We just got through singing over and over again, which I love because it kind of drills it into our head a little bit, is that God never stops working. And a lot of times we are not even aware of the work that he's doing. He's behind the scenes. He's subtle. He's, in, he's moving pieces and we don't realize it. In fact, somebody told me one time, it's like our best spiritual insight is hindsight. So, like, you can learn more about God looking in the rearview mirror than looking out the windshield a lot of times. So you go through an experience, and you go, oh, that's why. But when you're looking out, the, you're going through, and you're looking out where you're going, and you're headed where you're going, you have no idea what's happening behind the scenes or why you're going through what you're going through. And then when you get to your destination, you can look back and see the incredible things that God has done. Well, we've been in a series called Lessons from the Patriarchs. And I'll, I'll just tell you right now, as a pastor, this is one of my pet passages. I love this passage because there's so much that's going on. Um, as we're going through these patriarchs, I have a favorite, clearly. His name's Jacob. Because Jacob has all kinds of cannon fodder, man. You go read through the, the story of Jacob in Genesis, like, what's happening here? What's going on? We're going to do that. We're going to hit Jacob for two weeks. We probably could spend five or six. I won't do that to you. But we're going to hit two really important encounters that he has with God. So let me set the stage. Jacob is one of the sons of Isaac. There are two, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, Esau is the man's man, the hunter, the guy that disappears during deer season and comes back smelling like deer season. He's that guy, right? He's the rugged guy. He's the hunter. He's the gatherer. He goes out and brings back stew for dad. All these things that happen before we get to the story where we are tonight, today. And then Jacob is the complete opposite. Now, they're twins. Jacob is the homebody. Jacob is the mama's boy. He's Rebecca's favorite. Spends all the time at the house, helps her around the house, gets in good with mom. Esau's probably dad's favorite, you know, firstborn. There's a whole story of Jacob we want to unfold today. But basically, when they're born, they're twins. The scriptures tell us that when they were born, that they were wrestling in Rebekah's womb, and Jacob is even clutching Esau's heel, trying to be the firstborn when he comes out. He wants to be the firstborn son. He wants to be, because that's a significant thing in the, in the Middle East, is to be, in the ancient Near East, is to be the firstborn son. You get all the inheritance, you get all the goodies, you get all the stuff. Secondborn, eh, maybe something left over for you kind of situation. 
And so before we get to the passage today, Jacob has actually tricked Esau out of some of that inheritance already. He's deceived him about his birthright because Esau comes in from the field completely hungry and Jacob's like, here you go, but you can't have it till you give me some stuff. Like, deceives him, right? Takes advantage of the fact he's starving. You know, like you cave and go to McDonald's when you're with your kids because you can't help it. you got to eat something right then anyway. Like, he's just starving. So we pick a story up. And what has happened now is that Jacob has deceived not only Esau, but he's deceived Isaac. And he's tricked Isaac into giving Jacob all of the rest of the firstborn blessings. He's pretended to be Esau so that Jacob prays over him and says, you are the recipient of everything. He gets the inheritance. He gets the number one place in the will. Esau, not too happy about this. You can imagine. And he's, he makes the claim, not to Jacob, but the word gets back to Jacob that, you know, Isaac's on his last legs, and when he dies, I'm going to kill you. Which Jacob takes as a subtle hint with some prompting from Rebecca. It's time to leave town. Because older brother, the hunter, is going to kill you when dad dies. And so what he does, he, he's running literally for his life because of the way he's lived up until this point, trying to be firstborn and deceiving his way into being firstborn. It's starting to finally pay off and come back to haunt him. He, what he has sown is coming back to get him. So he's like, i got to get out of Dodge. So that's where we're picking the story up this morning. This is Genesis 28. That was Genesis 28. Now I have to find it again. <laughs> Good thing it's at the first of the Bible. That was funny. All right. See, I wouldn't do that. Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22. Let's read this story together. This will be interesting. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed there was a ladder set up on earth the top of it reaching up to heaven and the angels I lost my place the top of it reaching to heaven and the angels of god were ascending and descending on it the lord stood beside him and said i am the lord the god of abraham your father and the god of isaac the land on which you lie i will give to you and to your offspring and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and to all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he's afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the very gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil upon it on the top of it. He called this place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the, at the first. So he renames the town. That's interesting. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go... And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. 
All right, so there's the story, right? So Jacob is running for his life. He's in the middle of nowhere. The passage phrases it very interestingly in verse 10 and 11. It says, he gets to a certain place. It's dirt and rocks and nothing. You know, it's like an exit off 82 in the middle of nowhere. Like, there's nothing. You know, and he pulls, he pulls over and he pulls out a rock. Man, sleeping on a rock for a pillow? So he's just in the middle of nowhere and decides, this is where I'm going to sleep tonight. And he has this unbelievable dream. God comes to him in a dream. So he's like asleep. He has this vision of a ladder extending to heaven, angels ascending and descending on it, which is an interesting, cool part of the dream. I tell him what he ate. Maybe it was sleeping on a rock. You know, I mean, he's having this vision. And then, here's, then God, it says that God stood beside him and starts to talk to him. God starts to say to him. God starts to promise him. He says, I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham and Isaac. Now, what are some things we can learn from this story? We're calling it Lessons from the Patriarchs. And the first one is in these first two verses. When you realize who Jacob has been... And why he's traveling, all those things I said, he's the deceiver, he's the treacherous one, he's running for his life. Awake, Jacob is scared and fearful and anxious and treacherous and deceitful. Asleep, Jacob is having God visions. But what's interesting about the story is it is God who pursues and enters into Jacob's dream. Jacob has done nothing to make God go, hmm, Jacob. In fact, God's done, Jacob hasn't done anything. We get the idea that God's introducing himself to Jacob. That this is Jacob's first real encounter with the God of his forefathers, Abraham and Isaac. So God's, what a way to get an introduction from God, right? Here's this dream and then an audible voice from God says, I'm this God, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac. And now I will be your God. He makes him a promise. He's coming to him in a dream. The first thing we realize in this story is that it's God who's already and always at work in Jacob's life. God is always at work. As we sang, even if you don't see it, God is always at work. In fact, the part of the pre-story that I didn't tell you is there's actually a prophecy when Rebecca is pregnant that the older will serve the younger. So before Jacob is deceiving and gets the birthright and tricks Isaac and giving him the birthright, God had already said, Jacob is going to be my instrument before Jacob was even born. Now, how Jacob got to that position, not moral, but God is already choosing Jacob before Jacob's even screwed up to do some things specific in Jacob's life. He's the one at work. And Jacob is asleep when this story starts, so we know he's not doing anything. He's literally asleep. It's God who's at work in the story. It's God who's always at work in our story. If he's working behind the scenes with Jacob, and Jacob is so passive he's asleep, <laughs> right? Then this tells us there's, it's nothing we're doing. We're not saying the right prayer. That's called a spell. You know, there's, like, there's no like thing you can do. There's no thing you can do. God's going to go... Yeah, Charlie preached a pretty bad sermon Sunday. I'm not going to use him anymore. That's not how it works. 
God is at work in our life, whether we see it, recognize it, or even are aware of it or not. And so he's at work in Jacob's life. And he says, I'm the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Then he continues to make a bunch of promises. Right? Let me go back to the passage so I get these promises accurate. Because the wording is even important. We'll talk about that. He says in verse 12. Where are you, 12? There we go. Uh, Verse 13. The Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad from the east and to the west, to the north and to the south, and to the south. All the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Now, if you've been a part of this series, those promises ought to sound a little familiar. You'll have descendants like the dust of the earth. You will have the land. He hasn't even gotten out of the promised land yet. You will have the land on which you are sleeping tonight. And I will bring you, I will be with you, I will take care of you. I will bless and keep you until I bring you back here. Now remember, he's running for his life. He doesn't know that he's going to survive, let alone be able to come back home with Esau hunting him. And so God says, I'm working this plan. I'm the one who's responsible. I'm the one operating behind the scenes. I will bless you and I will keep you. And I will make sure you have everything, you are safe, you are secure, you are everything you need to be until I bring you back here and I will be with you until you safely return. Now as far as dreams goes, as far as promises from God goes, that's pretty good. I will watch out for you, I will care for you. He is blessing Jacob. The way Jacob has been seeking a blessing all along from his dad. But the wording is the same promise he made to Abraham and to Isaac. Not only am I God of Abraham, I am blessing you the way I promised I would bless Abraham. I'm giving you the same words. I'm giving you the same promise of prosperity, of promised land. I will bless you and I will keep you. And that ought to ring some other bells, theoretically. If I don't do it, I did before on the bookmarker. Okay, here we go. I didn't give, this is just, listen to this for a second. This is November, this is Numbers, November. This is number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. It's a famous scriptural promise. It's the structure of the promises he just made to Jacob. I will bless you. You will have descendants, you will have land, and I will keep you until you return to it. This God who is already at work and always at work has not stopped calling a group of people to himself to call his own. He's done it for Abraham. He's done it for Isaac. Now he's going to promise, he's promised he will do it with Jacob. In other words, God is on mission. God has a mission. We talk about missions in the church. Like, hey, First Methodist has some cool missions. God has a mission. That mission is to call a group of people to himself, to be in relationship with him. And he has not 
given up on that mission. He has not stopped working on that mission. Now, we're getting the beginnings of it in Genesis. <laughs> we're getting the start of the plan in Genesis. And he's like, I'm going to keep this line going. You're going to have descendants like the stars. Just like Abraham's going to have descendants like the stars. The same promises, same God, still at work, always at work, on mission. And why is that? Because it's part of who God is. God is on mission because it's in His nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, triune God in perfect relationship with each other, one essence, one divine being. We get into Trinity sermon here. One divine being, three distinct persons in perfect relationship. And he says, because his nature is relational like that, he is inviting us, he is inviting Jacob, he is inviting all of Jacob's descendants, he is inviting us through the people of God, through the Messiah who comes later, through Jesus, through what Jesus did on the cross, into a relationship with God. Because that is who he is, he cannot help but pursue us. That's why he sends Jesus. That's why he is the one entering into Jacob's dream. He is the one watching over, protecting, and promising to protect Jacob. He is the one that's at work. Now, here's, here's an interesting part of this. We mentioned this a couple times, but God is promising and binding himself to the lying, treacherous deceiver. God is binding himself, making a pledge, making a promise to the reprobate second son. There's a lesson in there for us, isn't there? If God would say, I choose you, I'm working through you, I'm going to change your life, even though you're the lying, deceitful, traitor, treacherous brother, then he can make the same promises and bind himself to us the same way. He can look at us and go, yep, you did this. Yep, you have this issue. Yep, you're this clueless. Yes, you're this broken. I love you and I'm pursuing you anyway. I will bless you and I will keep you. Because it's the nature of who God is. Interesting thing about this story with Jacob. The conversation with God and Jacob is not about his past at all, actually. The treachery doesn't come up. The lying and deceit to get the birthright is not in the message. What does God start talking to Jacob about? His future. The promises are not, hey, I know you were a screwed up kid, but I'm going to work with you anyway. He doesn't even mention it. He says, I'm the God of your father and your father's father. And just like them, I'm going to bless you too. We're now on a different path. We're now on a different trajectory. We're now headed somewhere. In fact, if you think about it, when this story starts, Jacob is scared, guilty, afraid, alone, running for his life, lying in the middle of nowhere with no home, no option. And when he wakes up, God is with him. He's blessed. He's going to have descendants. He's going to have the promised land. He's going to have a place he can call his own forever. People say the gospel's not in the Old Testament. That is the gospel. Before you know God, you're lost, you're confused, you're broken, you're covered in sin. After you encounter God, you have a hope, you have a future, you have grace, you have forgiveness, you have God with you. 
This is just the beginning of Jacob's story. In fact, I'll show you in a second. He's not quite transformed yet. Okay? But he's a different person after this encounter. He's headed in a totally different place, headed where he's headed in a totally different way and a totally different understanding. Look at the last few verses of this story. God's inviting us into this, this mission that he's on, right? Not only to gather a group of people to himself, but for us to gather a group of people with him to participate in the very mission of God together. But listen to the back half of this. After, after, the, after the nice talk from God, Jesus, Jesus. then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not even know it. He was afraid. He said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the very gate of heaven. And if you see angels coming and going, yeah, this is, start, this is a heaven gate right here. Right? This is where they come to earth and go back to heaven. This is interesting. This is a, this random place in the middle of nowhere. There's some angels coming and going. So Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. There's an editorial comment in there. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be his house and all that you give me I will surely give one-tenth to you. And he wakes up. There's this moment in Jacob's life where he's like, God's real. God's with me in the middle of nowhere. God's not with him back home where he was safe and secure. He didn't reveal himself there. He didn't reveal himself at his destination. He revealed himself to Jacob in the middle of nowhere. And Jacob has this moment of awareness shift like, whoa, the God that Abraham and Isaac always talked about, he's real. He wakes up. He says he's afraid. I would be too a little afraid, right? He says, and then he starts to have this, I guess it's a conversation with God, kind of a conversation with himself, but he's, he sets up this rock, he pours oil on it. That was a Jewish practice. They would mark divine things that God did with, by building like a little monument to mark the spot. When Joshua gets the people across the Jordan River, what's the first thing they do? They gather stones from the river and they build a monument about what God did. So he's doing the same thing. He's like, God was here. Boop. Here's where God was. This is where this counter happens. So I will remember. So this place will be a house of God. So that's a, that's a particular thing. He is marking the work of God in a physical place that was just like this random certain place before Jacob. But then he makes a vow that still has a little bit of Jacob in it. I had never noticed this before, but as I was reading through this and studying this, it's like he didn't just go, sweet, God's with me, let's go. It's a promise with a little caveat in it. Do you notice the wording? If you will do everything you say, then you'll be my God. That's the way he works, words of the vow. He says, if he'll provide this and if he'll provide that and if he'll bring me back safe and give me peace, then he will be my God. So Jacob, who has this divine, audible conversation with God, wakes up and goes, okay, you're real. You've made me a promise. If you keep your promise, then I'll worship you. He's almost bartering with this God who's given him this special blessing. He's like, okay, we'll see. We'll see if this plays out. There's some part of Jacob that maybe doesn't completely trust that God's going to do what God said he was going to do. 
Ever feel that way? Yes, God, I love you. Yes, God, I'm in a relationship with you. I know you. I trust you. But I'm not sure I trust you with this. <laughs> or I'm not sure you're going to keep that promise that I feel like you're making from Scripture. I, I'm not sure. Ever been there? That's kind of Jacob. Of course, his nature has been, hey, I'm going to cheat and steal to get ahead. Now he's looking at God going, okay, God, I'll take your deal. If you keep your end, I'll keep mine. <laughs> he even makes a promise at the end of it. I'll tithe. I'll give you a tenth back if you do this thing you say you're going to do. There's something in Jacob that's not completely fixed yet. There's something in Jacob that's not completely restored yet. He's still on a journey. But God has promised to be with him anyway. He starts the encounter lost. He starts the encounter a deceiver. He starts the encounter fearing for his life. Maybe guilty about deceiving his brother. We don't know. That'd be speculation. Certainly scared of his brother. He ends the encounter with a conversational relationship with God. A promise to be blessed and kept. A promise to return to the homeland. And a promise that he will never be alone. It's, hey, it's a vision and I slept on a rock, so who knows where... It's God at work in Jacob's life for a reason. God invites Jacob into his mission, and he's basically inviting us the same way. All he's asking for us to do is the same thing Jacob did, to kind of have this moment where we wake up and go, God was in my life, and I did not even know it. If you're in the middle of nowhere, if you're emotionally lost or struggling, if you're having any kind of thing, you're at, you're at this certain place, and life feels a little aimless, and life feels a little difficult, and life feels a little challenging, all God's asking you to do is to wake up and be aware that God is with you, and He is always at work, even in those places. He was for Jacob, and He is for us too. He goes to sleep filled with fear, loneliness, and guilt and wakes up to a God who will bless and keep him. Let's pray. Most holy God, precious Jesus, Holy Spirit, make us aware that we are not alone. Make us aware that it's not up to us. Make us aware of what you are inviting us into. So that we can look at you. So that we can trust you. So that we can leap into this partnership with you. Help us in our very heart and soul to trust the knowledge and the understanding that you will bless and keep us until we are in a perfect relationship with you in the land to come. In your precious son Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.